Welcome to Cal St. G Academy, the educational podcast of the Parish of Calvary St. George's. These podcasts are intended to inform and deepen your faith so that you can share your faith thoughtfully with the world around you. For more information about the parish, go to calvarystgeorges.org. And now, break out your moleskin prayer journal, and let's get started. The Year of the Bible is a series of Cal St. G Academy. Each episode will cover a new book of the Bible in a concise, in-depth, and ultimately edifying way. These lectures are recorded live each week at Calvary Church in New York City. First and Second Corinthians, and I think a good way to understand these books, especially the good, the first book, is this quote by Jake's favorite theologian, Martin Luther, and it goes like this: A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. So simultaneously, a free Lord of your own self, while being a perfectly dutiful servant to all. Why does that help us make sense of these books as a whole? Let me backtrack by starting with 1 Corinthians and saying that unlike the book of Romans that Paul talked about last week, which is kind of like a theological tractate by Paul, this letter is pretty occasional. It's based on historical circumstances that are right in front of Paul. So what do we do with a time-conditioned document like this? Now, all documents are time-conditioned, but this one especially And yet, it's been made scripture, yet it's in the canon. So how do we make sense of that? How do we view this book as scripture? Well, I'm not going to get into too many details, because if we tried to do that here in 1 Corinthians, we'd be here all day, because Paul talks about all kinds of things, from sex to money to, like, essentially how to get along. He gets very specific. Uh, But what is the overarching thing that unifies 1 Corinthians, and actually, in fact, unifies it with the second book. But there's another theologian by the name of Karl Barth, 20th century theologian, probably wrote the most of any theologian in the 20th century, probably the most creative as well. And he suggests that we don't really understand what's happening in 1 Corinthians until the very end, until chapter 15. And chapter 15 is a key for interpreting the whole epistle. And I'm bringing this up because I think that he's right. In chapter 15, right after Paul has gone on about the visions in the church, about this guy who's having an affair with his mother-in-law and that's not okay, right after he's talked about all different kinds of issues that are actually happening in that community that he's addressing, Paul talks about the resurrection. Only a lot of times when we read Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, we think he's talking about Jesus' resurrection. But he's, he's not really. You see, there were these, this group in Corinth who believed that essentially we are living in the eschaton now. Meaning like everything is perfect now. We kind of hear people talk this way today. Uh, you know what? If you don't have good things going for you, it's because you don't have enough faith. Or everything is good now. Your best life right this second, said Joel Olstein. 
But Paul here is suggesting that, and so they're saying, these people in Corinth are denying the general resurrection from the dead. I don't know why this thing has so much feedback. It's driving me crazy. But they're essentially saying, you know what? I think I can yell loud enough. Can you guys all hear me? I'll be a little bit louder. Be a little louder? Okay. So the people at Corinth were not saying that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. They're not moderns, right? They're not post-enlightenment thinkers. They're not opposed to the fact of the miraculous or that Jesus could have died. What they're saying is that Jesus rose so that we don't have to. We have achieved perfection now. Uh, You might say these are spiritual enthusiasts. These people really thought all was well right now. Now, you and I might be like, how could you possibly say that? Look at how much of the world is a total and complete mess. These people at Corinth thought the exact opposite. And what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 15 is he's saying, no, we need the resurrection from the dead for people like you and me. You see, the people in Corinth thought essentially kind of the way oftentimes we think today that when we die, we'll float away and be like these orbs with Jesus. Paul is making clear that the body matters, that you and I are going to be resurrected too, that you and I are not in this perfect state Paul is saying that we are living in the end times now, and we have been for 2,000 years. So you might see those people in Union Square say, the end times are right around the corner. Well, Paul, according to this letter and others, seems to be suggesting the end times is right now. Like right now, 2,000 years ago, and we've been living in them ever since. So essentially what Paul is saying is that you and I are living in the end times, which means we're living in the in-between time. Jesus has not come back yet. The perfect has not come, like the Corinthians thought, yet. And yet we're also past the age, you might say, of the law. Uh, we're in between times. No longer is, do we look to Moses in the same way that Jews used to. But in light of this Christ event... And right of the cross and resurrection, we live in between times. So this is why some people say that Paul is an apocalyptic theologian. You and I, and all and Christians since the beginning, have been living in this apocalyptic era. And what's really interesting about this, and what, why you, we can see that this is a key to interpreting the whole book, is that Paul does seem to say, he, he does come with what we might think of as law here in this book. But at the same time, Paul is also saying that we are living in a new age, the age of the spirit that is no longer controlled by law. We are living in this time of freedom that hasn't been fully realized as the perfect has not come again. But nevertheless, this freedom has been ushered in. But it's complicated. He's not saying, like some of the Corinthians are saying, well, that means the perfect's come. We can do whatever we want now. We're free from the law. Here's Paul saying, yes, you are in fact free from the law, but we are living in this in-between. There are still ethics, but Pauline ethics are not quite the ethics of Moses, and they're not 
libertine ethics, do whatever you want. Paul is saying we're living in this time between times and we are led by the Spirit. And that's why there's such an emphasis in this book on the spiritual gifts. Now, I think this is really hard for us to wrap our minds around because we oftentimes think in terms of binaries, right? Uh, Law or like libertarianism. Uh, And here, Paul is actually saying, I'm not siding on the side of law, but I'm also saying we're living in between times and that we need a guide, and that guide is the Spirit. So even the way to help us, I think, understand the book of Corinthians with its like, historical time-conditioned nature is that when Paul gives what appears to be more than just advice, do this, it's actually, he's not giving a new law. He's giving guidelines for those living in between times. But this is kind of uncomfortable for us, right? When we read the scriptures, we like to read them and be like, okay, this is how you live. But even Paul in this letter seems to suggest that what I'm writing about here in 1 Corinthians is conditioned by culture. Now that sounds pretty liberal, right? Like, oh man, well, it means like he's going to say we can do whatever we want. But even Paul in this letter is saying that. He is essentially all of these guidelines that he gives, and he gives a whole lot about sex, about that person who's having the affair with their mother-in-law, uh, about the fact that there are all these divisions in the church. He's like, what, like, what are you doing? We're all Christ's. We're not any, we don't have the, the right or the liberty to break out in factions. Uh, so it's this complicated thing, and I'm not sure Paul is always quite consistent, because again, he's not writing a theological tractate. He's writing this occasional letter that's been made scripture. So how do we understand it? Now, one of the most popular things in this letter is that passage on women. Uh, A lot of people latch on to this passage where Paul says women should be silent in church, blah, blah, blah. Uh, What I'm trying to say is, well, one, it's probably a time condition thing. Because in the same letter, Paul talks about women who are prophesying. Paul talks about women who are preaching. So it doesn't seem to make sense that this is a once for all, like, this is how it is. Also, number two, that passage is agreed by most scholars to likely be something that was added after, like, way later in the fact. And again, that's not me being the theological liberal. Um, those noises are getting crazy, sorry. Um, it's, it's in, the, in the manuscripts we have, that passage is found in chapter 4 in one, in chapter 14 in another. So we seem to think that that was an insertion from a scribe. So ladies... Next time someone throws that one at you, like, I I don't think that we can really build much upon that. That said, I'm really not trying to be flippant with this letter. Paul says some things that are are really great. He's essentially saying it seems to be that what he's, the guidelines he are giving is for the sake of mission. When he says do everything in an orderly way, he's not necessarily saying you have to be an Anglo-Catholic who steps in the same places in the service every single time and that's orderly essentially what he's trying to get across is like don't create offense don't do anything that would get in a way in the way of this gospel message being embraced by those we're trying to reach so again first corinthians it's this we're living in the time between times 
We are no longer, though it's a good guide, beholden to the law. This is where Paul, nevertheless, while encountering libertines, is still like pretty radical, at least for a Jew, right? But at the same time, he's saying that we are not fully in the new age. And so we are simultaneously free and we are subject to all. We have been bought with a price. And because we've been bought with a price, we serve. Now, I'm thinking about how in detail I want to get into some of these laws, but... Yeah, so it's not just Christians back then, but it's Christians even now. We're living in this time in between times. So for Paul, again, like even interpreting his letter, it is scripture and we can use what he's saying as like essentially a way of thinking and principle for how we're to live in the here and now. But even in this letter, as I said earlier, he has like two things going on. It's as if here in Corinth, uh, if that is, if that passage is from Paul, like, Who knows what was happening in Corinth for that passage to be in there. But at the same time, he's saying that elsewhere women are preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Um, So, yeah, I'm not making it any easier for you. Uh, I I think that we're really to wrestle with texts like this. And as Christians who've been baptized and have the spirit, we are given the spiritual gift of discernment. Uh, Again, not to say that we can... Just, we should just do whatever we want. But as a church and together, discern how, what this means in light of the fact that we're living now. Uh, in light of the fact that culture has changed quite a bit. So the only other thing I want to mention from 1 Corinthians is that Paul also is very keen on the fact that if we have been bought with a price, then we should freely give. At the very, very end of the text, he is taking up this collection for the poor church at Jerusalem, probably where St. James is, the brother of Christ. And he is, again, his ministry of reconciliation that we'll get to in the second book between Jew and Gentile and us being one in Christ. Here he is uh, among the Gentiles taking a collection for the Christian Jews. So here he's not just talking about these different groups being reconciled. But here, uh, those people who you may not have liked too long ago, and some of those people who may not like you right now, nevertheless, we've been bought with a price. We are going to take up this collection for the poor there. Uh, And I think in Paul's mind, it seems to be that in this great offering, this great gift, this reconciliation will be truly felt. Because remember, these letters that Paul's writing... They're earlier than a lot of the events that happened in the book of Acts that Kristen talked about. You remember that Acts 15 where, where Paul and the other apostles come together and they agree you know, the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised, yada, yada. This letter is written before that. There's still a lot of tension in the air. It seems to be there's even tension among the disciples about the implication of Christ's work. How far does this go? Does this include the Gentiles? Do they have to become one of us? Uh, What is is the relationship to the law of Moses now? There really is uh, this, it's in the air. And actually what's funny is that the the book we talked about last week, Romans, is probably one of Paul's last letters, potentially in light of of Acts 15 and the Jerusalem Council, we talk about it. So we can see these things kind of being figured out as we go. 
Now, let's talk briefly about 2 Corinthians. Uh, Now, Paul's relationship with the Corinthians is kind of all over the place. Uh, There's probably a letter that was written to the the church at Corinth before our 1 Corinthians. Then 1 Corinthians was written. Then he visits Corinth, and it doesn't go well at all. Paul writes this angry letter that he talks about in 2 Corinthians, because essentially what they've done is Paul planted the church. He's there for 18 months. These other people come in, and they're like, well, you know, Paul's not that impressive. We're moving on past Paul. Paul goes to visit, and he's like, what the heck, guys? What is going on? Uh, They kick him out. He writes this angry letter. And unlike most angry letters, like the angry letters I get that I usually ignore, uh, these, the Corinthians take it to heart. And they're like, you know what? Paul was the OG, man. Like, he was the one who founded us. He, you know, he's right. And so actually, 2 Corinthians is not the angry letter. In fact, it's a letter of joy. A letter of joy at their reconciliation. And this is where that famous passage about uh, how you and I, as ambassadors of Christ, are agents of this ministry of reconciliation to the world. But this stems out of that historical circumstance of the Corinthians and Paul getting into a fight and essentially being reconciled. And he says, this is what the gospel does. So, the reconciliation between the Corinthian church and Paul, and then we have again, uh, he's emphasizing this collection for the church at Jerusalem. Again, these are poor Jewish Christians over there. You are predominantly Gentile Christians. This is how we're going like, to kind of enact that ministry of reconciliation. And, and what's really interesting for Second Corinthians is that it probably originally ended there. But then we have these four chapters at the end of of 2 Corinthians where Paul is essentially writing to a rebellious congregation. And it seems like it kind of starts out of nowhere in chapter 10. And so a lot of people have been like, what is this? Paul just said we got reconciled. And here is angry Paul essentially saying, I'm an apostle. I've got this authority. I've got the gospel. It was delivered to me by Christ. And what a lot of scholars think is that those four chapters at the end of 2 Corinthians were probably the angry letter. But they were packed on to the end of this when the canon was put together. Now, we don't know that for sure. A lot of people are, they, they think it probably was the case. And again, this, as I've kind of talked about this whole year of the Bible, uh, we are taking these books as canon, right? We are Christians, We believe these books are our scripture. We're not too concerned about what Paul originally wrote in, you know, 50 AD in Ephesus. Because at times, Paul's apostles add more. And as we see, Paul in Romans kind of, his thought evolves, so to speak. What we're concerned with is the final form. Paul and Paul's disciples essentially put this thing together and here's what we have and the church has received it as canon. So we receive what is probably the angry letter and 2 Corinthians in one. And the reason why a lot of people think it was put at the end is to make 2 Corinthians like 1 Corinthians. As I said earlier, 1 Corinthians is about this time in between times. It's this apocalyptic document eschatological. 
The perfect has not yet come, and yet we're living post-cross and resurrection. And what he's saying is here in his eschatological voice at the end of 2 Corinthians is that Jesus revealed the true gospel to me, an outsider, uh, a person who wasn't one of the original 12, a person who was originally a, a persecutor of the church. Now we receive this as Christians, with this being our canon, our scripture, that this is essentially saying that Paul has the true gospel. Do you see kind of why like this might not actually come from like Paul himself? It might be like one of Paul's disciples uh, who, you know, in the ancient world, they just don't have a problem with essentially, I'm the disciple of this person. I mean, we see this with like the Plato's writing, etc. I'm going to add on to it. Essentially what they're adding is to this is that Paul has this authority. And the authority of Paul is saying that from now on until Christ comes again, that you and I are living in between times. And it's a lot of times there are some gray areas. And we need to pray and discern together as the church to know how to react to circumstances uh, as Christians. Yes, we have the law once given. And yes, that can be really helpful for how to live our lives. But we also are living in a time that's a bit beyond that. And we, that, that, that's why Paul talks about spiritual gifts so much. Um, and the people he's writing to are probably more spiritual enthusiasts than anyone else, than even him. But his real emphasis in that, because he does say, when he talks about these spiritual gifts, he says they will be put to an end when the perfect comes. So we're longing for the perfect one. But in this time, in between times, we're trying to figure it out. And we read occasional letters like Paul's to help us, not as individuals, because nobody back then thought in terms of individuals, as a church, how to live. You might call this the the end times ethics. Paul's all about end times ethics, uh, which are probably a little bit different than situational ethics. But you can see where there's, we do still look to the law as help, but we are at the same time free of it. And you and I as Christians now have, now that Paul's letters have been made an authority, have been received as canon, we look to these for how to discern in this time in between times. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Cal St. G Academy. All of these podcasts are recorded at live events and lectures hosted by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. Want to hear more? Stop by the church sometime and attend one of these events live. Or swing by one of our many services where we seek to rightly divide the word of truth week by week. With sermons that always point to where we end and God begins. Find out more about all of our events and offerings by visiting calvarystgeorges.org. And if these free podcasts have meant something to you, and you feel led to support our ministry, head on over to calvarystgeorges.org slash giving and make a donation today. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon.